Good morning. My name is Margot, and I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is, at, in, is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Would you pray with me again? Our gracious Lord Jesus, you are the spirit baptizer. Uh, we pray this morning that indeed you will be among us and baptize us again with the Holy Spirit. Fill us, change us. Capture every heart and mind for yourself. We want to be your subjects in your kingdom. We want to serve you, heart and mind and soul. Amen. Uh, which would you prefer to hear first? Uh, good news or bad news? Uh, most people that I know, when you ask them that question, they would say, I want to hear the bad news first. I want to finish with the good news. But not this man. You know, this man who got a call from his doctor saying, I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? And the man said, 
while he's going to buck the trend. He says, oh, tell me the good news. Uh, the doctor replied, you have 24 hours to leave. To which the man cried out, what do you mean? How can that be good news? So what's the bad news? The doctor replied, well, the result came in yesterday and we couldn't get a hold of you. Uh, I, some of you are cringing because it's a bad joke, right? I told this joke, I know that, yeah, it is a bad joke. Uh, more importantly, how is that good news? Both of those news aren't great. But the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is different. It is definitely good news. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah described this good news, right? He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart service has been completed, that her sins has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah continued, the voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be leveled, the rugged places became a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the Lord has spoken. This is the great news that Isaiah prophesies. Uh, the good news that is being proclaimed from the mountaintop. Glad tidings. Uh, it speaks about comfort, restoration, the forgiveness of sin, the return of the exile and God coming to them. Uh, the, the people will see God's glory again. The, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Someone once said that if holiness is God's intrinsic character, that's who God on the inside, then holiness is who he is on the outside manifested, his power, his holiness, his character. And so whenever we think of the word glory, Right, uh, the mental picture should be think of the pillar of cloud and fire during the Exodus. That's God's glory. I think of Solomon's temple being covered by a cloud that no one could enter. Those were the good old days. Those were the good glory days when God's glory was present. But at this point in time, in our story, God's glory had departed for a long time and the people were waiting for the glory to return. See, last week we saw Herod build a great temple. Beautiful, great stones. The disciples who visited were so impressed with it. Not Jesus, of course, but it was just an empty shell. It had no glory. The people were hungry. The people were spiritually bankrupt. And so when Isaiah proclaimed this good news for God's people pointing ahead, it truly was good news. God is going to come to his people. And Isaiah, it was Isaiah's job, I mean, it was John the Baptist's job to proclaim this good news. Now, if that is the case, why was it that John the Baptist was such a hellfire preacher? You familiar with that phrase, hellfire preacher? I think that's because the good news of Jesus only makes sense when we truly understood the bad news. The good news of Jesus, you only appreciate it if we understand what the bad news is. So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching, 
proclaiming, that's what the word says, in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken to the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Some translation has it at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's, <laughs> excuse me, it's literally as if you have something in your hand, you're holding on to it. It's so close, so tangible. That's how we're meant to be thinking about this great news that God's kingdom has come. It's already arrived. But why is repentance necessary? Because the good news only makes sense when the bad news is understood. Well, put it in another way. You can't have the good news without the bad news. At the end of the day, the word you know, evangelism uh, or, or evangelizing or proclaiming is just that. It, it just means news. Uh, it, it, it's what you proclaim. Um, it, it means it's good news to some people, but the same news is bad news to others. Does that make sense? You, you, you proclaim the same news. But for some people, it, it is the fragrance of life. For others, it is the stench of death if they reject the warning. The good news is God's kingdom is coming. The bad news is hell is real. Uh, have you heard um, this complaint before? Right? You know, some, some people say, ah, I don't believe in Christianity because why would a God, good God send people to hell? In fact, churches are obsessed with hell. They've heard hellfire preachers. Uh, for, for some people, this is a genuine obstacle to come to faith in Jesus. They really struggle with that. I mean, they're trying to believe, but they don't. How do I explain that? But the fact that there is hell doesn't have to be an obstacle to faith because when you think about it, we're all familiar with the need for justice in our lives, don't we? If someone did something that is harmful to us or to the people we love, especially, we want them to stop. We say, that's not right. There must be consequences to our actions. We understand that. Hell is the consequence to our rebelling against God, against God's rightful and good rule in our lives. When we don't follow God's way, when we hurt others and ultimately we hurt ourselves, there must be consequences. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, not too, it's good not to get too philosophical about, you know, something that is life and death. Right? That's what it is. This, this news is life and death. Uh, let me give you an example. Suppose you're on a road trip and you're relying on your GPS. Um, you know, you're just driving along. You're enjoying the trip with your family. The sun is up. The wind is on your face. And, you know, you're, you're having a great time. But what you didn't know was that, you know, as you're driving down this road, uh, it's going to come to a bend. You can't see it, but the road's going to bend, and immediately there's going to be a sharp drop. You're in danger. Right, the, the road has collapsed, maybe due to a natural disaster. And so your GPS is next-generation GPS, right? This is gospel proclamation system. Stop! Stop right now. Turn around. 
Here you have a choice, right? What, what would be the most important thing to do? Um, do you want to be told this so that you can stop and turn around? Or do you want to debate about why the GPS is always fixated about giving you bad news? The most sensible and logical thing to do when you hear this news is to turn around and go back. That's what repentance means. Repentance means a change of direction. It means a change of heart. It also means conversion. That's what the word can be translated to. Be converted. Turn around. Change your life direction. Repent. John's message is just news. Good news and bad news. He's calling people to return to their God and their creator because this God is coming. In many sense of the word, John's a very important person. You know, some people think that John is just a warm-up act you know, for Jesus. He's not. John's the kind of the, the he functions like the, old, the last prophet you know, uh, from the Old Testament. The prophet's job in the Old Testament was calling people to come back to God, to return to God. Let me give you an example. For example, John's message is very similar to Jonah's message, very succinct, very short. Uh, the prophet Jonah preached a very simple message, all right, the gospel in a few words. 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. That was the gospel message for him. Same news, good news and bad news. It depends on what you do with it. We were told that the people of Nineveh repented and God relented. John the Baptist's message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John not only preached like a prophet, he looked like a prophet. There was some great animation. I mean, there was great acting there, isn't it? His clothes were made of camel's hair, a leather belt. Uh, that was quite authentic, I must say. And notice that people went out to him from all over the place, from Jerusalem, from Judea, from the whole region, of, um, of Jordan. I see, sometimes we, we, we get accused of preaching how and fire, you know, that's kind of message in people's faces. You can't say that of John the Baptist. He wasn't in a city like Jonah, shouting down people. He was outside. He was in the wilderness. It was the people that went to him. Why? Because for 400 years, the word of God was silent. You know, you turn, um, these days we've got electronic Bible, but in the olden days, you know, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. You turn a page and you get to the New Testament within two seconds. But within just turning that page, you're turning 400 years where the word of God was silent. There was no prophets in the land. No one to show people how to return to God. The people were spiritually hungry, lost, and they had one false messiah after another false messiah. They all, people were coming up, follow me, follow me, and they all turned out to be not the real hope. The people were hungry. They were looking for, yeah, some, some salvation. More often than not, they, be, they were disappointed. So remember Herod the Great, right? You know, he, he, he was dead by this time in, in Jesus. Herod could, could give them a grand temple, but Herod couldn't give them the glory, the presence of God himself. 
So the people came to John the Baptist because they needed to get right with God. John's water baptism is a preparation for the spirit baptism that Jesus is going to bring. Uh, Not everyone who came to John was there for repentance. Uh, John the Baptist singled out two groups of people who came for different reasons, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, Sorry, the print is a bit small. Uh, So these were people who were part of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. Uh, They were the religious authorities of that time. Uh, And we know that there were other groups of people uh, there as well, other religious people comprising uh, this, this group. It comprised of the priests and the Levites. And we know that because John's gospel talks about them, a different gospel, talking about the same incident. The priests and Levites were there, and they were there to check John out. Right? Everybody was looking for hope, looking for the Messiah. Uh, and so as John was in the wilderness, these religious authority came out to John and asked him, are you the one? Are you the one? Are, are you the savior? Are you the Messiah? And so there, there we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to John, and, and John reserved the harshest of words for these people. Uh, you know, you never hear this in the church, right? Welcome, you brood of vipers. Hope you enjoy our service today. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourself, what we have Abraham as our father tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, what, another way of referring to Abraham's children is uh, to talk about election, right? God's election. God did choose Abraham. Uh, Here is the Bible's teaching about the fact that it it is God's choice. So God has chosen, you know, Abraham and his descendant to be part of the promise. Uh, But what John the Baptist essentially is saying to these people is don't be presumptuous about God's election. He didn't say that election is not, the the doctrine of election is not true. It, It is true. God indeed has chosen what the Bible is eventually going to say is that the true descendants of Abraham are not just going to be the Jews, but now everyone and anyone who will repent and look to Jesus, the Messiah. So these people came to John and say, are you the one? And they're not there to repent. But what was John's reply? John the Baptist's reply. Someone once summarized the ministry of John the Baptist this way. Essentially, John says, I am not the one. I am not the one. Um, When you think about what John's ministry is about, he's like a signpost. He points to Jesus, but I do know the one. I want to point to the one who, who will baptize you Uh, with the Holy Spirit. See, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John understood his role perfectly. He was not the one who is going to steal the glory of the Son of God. I'm not the one. 
Do you see the picture now? What's happening at this point in time? The people were looking for the one. Right? The one who is going to make their lives better. The one who was going to be the good news. Uh, someone please come and kick the Romans out of the land so that our lives can be better. They were hungry. They were lost. They were oppressed. They were spiritually bankrupt. They were, the, they were, they were looking for someone. They came to John the Baptist, hoping that he might be the one. It would have been so easy for John the Baptist to say, yeah, I'm the one, and take the glory. But John's message consistently throughout the four gospels is, I'm not the one. There is someone who is coming. He is the spirit baptizer. He is the one who is filled with the spirit. Last week I asked the question, what makes a good king? Military power? The, the right lineage? Maybe. But in this passage we were told that it, even if you are Abraham's descendant, doesn't mean a thing. God can raise up children of Abraham from stone. Nothing is impossible for this God. So what makes a good king in the Bible? Consistently, someone who has the spirit of the living God in him. It's not military might. It's not intelligence. Because God doesn't need that. But the spirit is the one that accomplished God's purpose. Uh, this is Zechariah and Old Testament prophets that say, you know, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the almighty God. This kingdom is going to be a very different kingdom. This kingdom is going to be the Holy Spirit kingdom. The one who comes is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to be at work. Um, prophet Ezekiel, the prophet, I will give them, God's people, an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Again, he says in chapter 36, uh, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God can raise children of Abraham from stone. Today you can enter God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and become a child of Abraham. God can do it. God can change your heart of stone. You know, when I was young, I was always one of those kids when an evangelist came, right? I was always one of those kids that put my hand up to receive Jesus. Are you one of them? I, no? Oh, you guys are good. Um, yeah, you know, initially I did it because it was the most beneficial thing to do. I'm a Chinese. I know what value is, right? This is, this is good value. Someone's going to forgive my sin and give me eternal life and I avoid hell? Yeah, thank you. Initially, I did it because there was good value in it. And then later I realized, when I put up my hand, I realized that that's the right thing to do. It's not just a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do because Jesus is king. And if he is king, then I follow. I obey. And eventually, thanks be to God, 
I may or may not raise my hand, but every time there's an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, I want to do it. It's a desirable thing to do to come to Jesus. Because Jesus gives me the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. It is the Holy Spirit that gives me God's comfort and God's presence. And now the verse makes sense, doesn't it? Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to these people. Tell them that I've forgiven their sin. Tell them that I'm going to bring them into my kingdom and they shall be my children. Here's the shepherd who is coming. Because Isaiah continues in verse 10, right? This is the same, same passage. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See that his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. This is a king and shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. That's the king to follow. John the Baptist says, I am not the one. The people either believe, you know, I mean, we live in a culture that's pretty narcissistic, I would say, both in the church and sometimes in the church and out of the church. Uh, people either believe that they are the one or they keep looking for the one. We have a celebrity worship culture. Um, sometimes I, I think it's not a bad thing to repeat after John the Baptist and say, I'm not the one. Why don't we do this now together, right? Just, just say it, right? Hum together. I am not the one. How do you feel after saying that? I often find that I feel relief. That I don't have to be perfect for God to save me. I don't have to do, always do the right thing. I try. It's not about me. There's always this tremendous say, sense of relief. I follow the one, the one whose shoes or sandals I'm not unfit, I'm not unfit to touch, but the one who came in the end to wash all of our feet. Isn't that amazing? We're not worthy to untie his sandals, and yet this king came and wash all of our feet. John said, I need you, not the other way around. Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John, but John says, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be for now, for all righteousness. This is kind of pointing forward to chapter four. What does that righteousness look like? Jesus is going to represent us, represent Israel, and fulfill that righteousness. John consented. Uh, let me finish here with, you know, this picture. Right? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and at, at that moment, heaven was open, and the Spirit came. That was the, the, gospel, the Bible's way of saying that, yeah, that one. Not only does he have the Holy Spirit, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And the voice of heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Next week, Peter Bofin is going to look at the passage 
and tie in that connection with us. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? Let me close in prayer. Friends, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart, but allow God the Holy Spirit to come and change it and transform it from a heart of stone to the heart of flesh. We are not the one. We follow the one. Amen.